0: It's All Journalism has always been a labor of love for its producers. We do the interviews, edit the audio, and present weekly podcasts to you free of charge. While we did launch a Patreon page a few years back to great fanfare and little success, we haven't really asked our listeners for financial support. That may change at some point, but for now, we'd like you to continue enjoying our content for free. While we're not asking for your dollars, we would like to ask you to do a few simple things to help our podcast grow. First, subscribe to It's All Journalism on your favorite audio platform. Then, go to itsalljournalism.com and sign up for our weekly email newsletter. Like and share our episodes on social media. Rate and like our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to It's All Journalism. Tell a friend or colleague about It's All Journalism. You can also take one of our anonymous online surveys. These simple actions from a loyal audience can have a huge impact on our podcast's success. You can find out more about our podcast at itsalljournalism.com.
1: The nuts and bolts of what we do is we help journalists figure out how to be entrepreneurs, how to run these nonprofit news businesses, and how to experiment and find new business models and new models of building public support.
0: As for-profit news outlets continue to cut jobs, many journalists are turning to non-profit news sites or even launching their own non-profit enterprises to cover public service news. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Sue Cross is the Executive Director and CEO of the Institute for Non-Profit News, which is made up of 230 nonprofit news organizations. Cross has over 20 years of experience in the nonprofit and public service news space. She was also Senior Vice President for the Associated Press. Welcome to the podcast, Sue.
1: Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here.
0: So first of all, you, you know, I mentioned here at the beginning that, that you worked for the Associated Press. You, you know, you've been a journalist for a pretty long while. And should tell me about your, your journalist journey. You know, how did you get interested in the news business?
1: I kind of grew up in the news business in an odd way. My dad had a printing shop, and we actually produced the local newspaper in North Royalton, Ohio. It was a little weekly, and and it was typeset, and in our basement, we did that pre-press production. But like most teenagers, I, of course, did not think I wanted to do anything related to anything my family was doing, and so I went to become a chemistry major in college, and Loved science and did that, but I found myself writing about science, and then I went to work for The Lantern, the student newspaper at Ohio State University, which at that time had a big journalism program, and really, it was just the gravitational pull. I loved journalism, like so many reporters, uh, I think it was, you know, the sense that you could meet so many people, see so many slices of life that pulled me into being a reporter. That's how I got into journalism and then I ended up working for the AP right after I graduated in a temporary position and was able to do all kinds of things within the AP, moved around, I started in Ohio where I grew up, but I went to Alaska and covered the state house and covered a lot of environmental issues in Alaska and then I became an editor, which I didn't expect to like, but I absolutely loved. I loved working with reporters and being able to shape stories and really, really define coverage. Another key shift took place just as digital was growing. I was the, the bureau chief for Associated Press in Los Angeles, and in the West, there was just this tremendous sense of innovation around digital news. And so I started doing more and more things with newspapers around digital news and ended up kind of moving over to the business side. I still really loved the newsroom. I still miss the newsroom today, but there was this sense even then that it was the disruption of journalism and the business model in journalism that was really gonna define the future of what we did and that appealed to me and the complexity of it actually appealed to me so i moved over to the business side and then worked in product development and business development for ap before leaving to move back to los angeles i was in new york at that point at ap headquarters and i moved back for personal reasons because i really missed the west and moved back and then i consulted for a while and then move
0: to to INN. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. You you talk about the digital disruption, and I know there are a lot of journalists, you know, myself included, who sort of experienced that. And a lot of the people that I've spoken to who are in that sort of situation, the the direction they, well, the directions they primarily went to, they either got out of the business or they they went sort of down the digital path, but maybe sort of in a, you know, editorial point of view unless necessarily entrepreneurial, although a lot of them to go into the entrepreneurial. But you're the first that, that I think I've spoken to that saw that the business side of it was kind of where where the change needed to occur or where the, you know, maybe that was the thing that attracted you. I think it was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, it was. And it was this feeling that we don't know where this is going and this is complicated and interesting. And while you could see the disruption coming, I mean, you really could see the cliff economically coming. There is a flip side to the digital, and it's not on the advertising side, and it's not on these... For journalism, I don't believe it's on the platforms or portals or going at grand scale. The opportunity is in the entrepreneurial side. You know, this is business jargon, but it does lower barriers of entry. So, one reason this independent news world is growing, and there are these green shoots popping up all over in small newsrooms, that are surviving and then growing is that they can start news publications. They don't need a printing press. They don't need a sat dish to broadcast. And so you are seeing this. It's like a fermentation. It's like this. there's experimentation and innovation all over the country in these little newsrooms, and they're very small, but then they land on something that will work, and they build on it. And I think that's really important, and, and that's a positive side of what has happened with digital media as well.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely see that. I mean, because I, I think at the beginning there was this sort of fear or this idea that what, what we needed to do was to sort of replicate the old models. But the old models were built for you know print and uh, it didn't involve the sort of um, you know innovative approach that digital lends itself to. Um and, and so you know it, A lot of journalists spend a lot of time trying to preserve these you know these old models, and and hopefully you know maybe we're beyond that. And I, I hope we are because I think what you're pointing to, and, and, and this is part of I guess what inn's mission inn. This is this is a part of what inn's mission is. I guess is to to support some of these organizations that, uh, well, nonprofit news you know, how did you get involved with uh, the Institute for Nonprofit News?
1: Originally, I got involved with INN before I actually left AP. Um, I was running business development and our partnerships in the Americas for AP. And I knew Chuck Lewis, who was one of the founders of INN, who is now at the investigative reporting workshop at American University. And we started talking about distribution, which remains a challenge for all media, right, to preserve their brands and distribute. How do you get to people as patterns change? And so AP did some experiments in distributing nonprofit news produced by INN members, not as part of Associated Press's own news coverage, but just using the the wires, so to speak, and, and getting it distributed to other media. So that was my first interaction with INN. And then I was aware of them because it was intriguing to me what was happening in that space and in investigative news and um, the impact they were having. I should take a step back and maybe explain to people how INN formed, because the context here is important. The It was 2009. News hadn't yet run off the cliff, but as I said, people could see that was coming. And investigative journalists at 27 nonprofits, that was basically the entire nonprofit universe at that point. But they gathered at the Pocantico estate, which is run by the Rockefeller's Brothers Fund, just north of New York. And they gathered out of this feeling that, wow, investigative journalism is in danger because of this economic storm. And it's expensive, it's hard to do, it carries liabilities. This is the kind of journalism most under threat. And so they set aside competition, which is very hard for investigative reporters to do, but they did. And they said, you know, investigative reporting is critical to our democracy, it's under threat, and we are going to form this consortium to nourish and sustain investigative journalism. And that's what became INN. And then a few years later, it broadened as the threats to journalism moved beyond investigative news to just coverage of your local city council and all kinds of, you know, beat reporting was cut. INN broadened to encompass all types of nonprofit news in the U.S. So that's how it started and how I first crossed paths. And then I was just working, I actually, outside journalism as a consultant and Really enjoying it. I'll admit it was kind of nice to take a break from this terribly pressured field. But then the directorship of INN came open again, and I just felt then this is really important. There's something here that's going to matter a lot to the future of journalism. So came back into it.
0: So what is uh, you know what's INN's mission? How would you describe that?
1: That language came of nourish and sustain. Journalism is still as true as it was in 2009. So, in INN's existence, that's been a North Star. INN exists to build this field of public service journalism, nonprofit, nonpartisan. And in its first 10 years, it helped that field grow tenfold. So, there's now about 3,000 people working in nonprofit news in the U.S. More than 2,000 of those are journalists in the field. And so our aim in the next 10 years is to do that again. Let's generate, let's keep this growth rate going or accelerate it. Let's generate another tenfold growth in the reporting power of these nonprofit newsrooms. So we would like to see by 2030 20,000 journalists working in public service essentially. And it's now, this has also become a global movement. There are hundreds of nonprofit newsrooms around the world looking at what's happening in the US and following similar paths to see, to develop these nonprofit newsrooms. You know, in essence, we're trying to recreate journalism or a big part of journalism as a public trust rather than a for-profit business.
0: Okay, so these are not for-profit businesses, but yet they they need to finance themselves. They need to find a way to finance themselves. What is a t- typical way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, they are businesses. So nonprofits are businesses and have to very much run as businesses. The nuts and bolts of what we do is we help journalists figure out how to be entrepreneurs, how to run these nonprofit news businesses, and how to experiment and find new business models and new models of building public support. So the revenue streams that we're seeing now across the field, we believe there's about $450 million, that would be your kind of total revenue of the nonprofit news field in the U.S. as of a year ago in 2018. And that roughly breaks down about little over 40% of that, 43% comes from foundations. So that's the traditional nonprofit funding stream of grants uh, coming from foundations. Some of those are journalism foundations. Some may be foundations that support, that work in topic areas, but Want to see news coverage of those topics and realize that otherwise it is disappearing from commercial media. So that's the foundation piece, about 43%. Individual giving, and this is really, really exciting to me, but individual giving to news is now up at just under 40%, 39%. So it's closing in. It's almost as big as foundation funding in supporting the reporting of these nonprofit newsrooms. The other key pieces in there nonprofit newsrooms generate about 12% in earned revenue. That's also growing over time. That may be uh, commercial training programs, it can be event revenue, it can be sometimes ad sales that aren't considered sponsorship underwriting and so forth. And then there's a miscellany of other, mostly charitable sources, that provide the remaining 6%.
0: So what do you credit that rise in in giving from individuals?
1: To me, it's one of the most exciting things happening. I think several things are happening. I think the public is becoming more aware of the loss of news. And they're aware that their newspapers have gotten skinnier. They have read about mergers of large companies. And so, you know, it always takes longer to realize when something's been lost, you know, it's kind of a vacuum, it doesn't sink into your head right away. But now we are really seeing a heightened public awareness of attacks on journalism, of the loss on the commercial side, and people are starting to go look for news they can trust. I think the Newsmatch campaign, which is a grassroots, huge matching campaign funded by the major journalism foundations, it was started by Knight Foundation, now Democracy Fund, EEJF, which is the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation, and many, many others support this. And they say, if you build public support for your news in your community, we will match those individual donations. So aside from the financial impact of that, news match, in which INN is involved along with the foundations in supporting it. But Newsmatch also does a lot of advertising. It runs this end-of-year campaign, November and December. And so it has generated more than $14 million for news organizations. And those are all coming from $1,000 or less donations. The match is for $1,000. So these are these are ordinary people stepping up. And often small business owners in communities and so forth. So, I do think Newsmatch has raised that public awareness as well as it being raised by attacks on journalists and the loss of news in commercial media.
0: I want to sort of underline parts of what you just said that, you know, INN is, is joining the Knight Foundation, the Democracy Fund and other organizations to support and take part of the, the Newsmatch initiative, which runs in November and December. It's an opportunity for people to contribute and then have uh, their contributions matched, thereby basically doubling <laughs> the impact of the money you're giving towards nonprofit news. You know, how can people sort of participate in that? So find out more, etc. Yes,
1: people. It's very easy. If you go to NewsMatch.org, you can read about the campaign and what's happening in nonprofit news. You also can see every site that's participating, and there are nearly 200 news sites this year participating in NewsMatch. So you can look up what's the topic you're interested in. You can find somebody that covers healthcare. You can find somebody that covers environment or education, and donate to those sites, or look up what are the nonprofit newsrooms in my state or where I grew up and still want to read about news in the community where I grew up or where I live now. So it's a really easy way uh, for people just to find what's happening out there and who is generating this kind of news and to donate to it in a matter of minutes. It's very, very simple to do. And it matters tremendously because ultimately the future of news is how much... Communities support it, and individuals support it.
0: One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was Inn recently released its 2019 index, is looking at the state of nonprofit news. What What are some of the chief takeaways from that report?
1: There are several things. This is the second year we've done the index, and it's it's because you know this field is growing, and there, we wanted to have good, reliable data to understand what's happening. A couple of things really jumped out at us. As I said, INN's been around 10 years, but it's almost 12 that we have been counting the number of news outlets out there. And when we looked back, what was surprising, even to us, who breathed to advance the growth of this field, but was the amount of growth there's been. So nonprofit newsrooms have been launching at a pace of more than one a month in the United States for almost 12 years. So this, um, it's not all decline in media. There is a substantial growth of new kinds of news outlets, and and that came out of the index study, the, the scale of it. The second thing I had mentioned a little earlier that we found really encouraging was this level of individual support. So just... Average people stepping up to support, in many cases, local newsrooms, but also ones that cover cover investigative news or certain topics, and that hitting almost fifty percent. That is, va- or uh, excuse me, let me rephrase that. the The other thing that we found so encouraging is that the donations from individual people, just average citizens, giving in many cases small amounts, or major amounts, but they're supporting their local news organizations in a very direct way. This isn't going through foundations or grant processes. This is just people giving to newsrooms saying, please go report the news. That's almost up to 40% of the revenue supporting the reporting in these nonprofit newsrooms. And that's a really big shift. That level of support was down in the low 20s just not that many years ago. So we do see the public awareness and we see the public support growing. And then the the final thing we see is that these nonprofit newsrooms are increasingly important in preserving two kinds of journalism that have been cut drastically in commercial media. And one is investigative reporting, where you're really digging in and going deep and It includes government accountability, but all kinds of investigative reporting that really takes an investment of time and knowledge and examining the facts. And then the second is expert beat reporting. The majority of nonprofit newsrooms do have at least one investigative reporter, and about half of them are covering either a single subject or a cluster of related topics. So it's the classic in journalism terms, it's the beat reporting is moving to nonprofits where you have really an investment in reporters and editors expertise in an area so that it can do explanatory coverage and deep coverage. So those are the main things we found about the field that jumped out to us from the index this year.
0: So I know there are a number of organizations in INN and uh, different types of of, uh, newsrooms out there. And I certainly wouldn't want you to play favorites, but can you point to a couple of stories or efforts that you think kind of highlight what you can get with a nonprofit news organization?
1: I'll just give you some sense of the lay of the land. About a third of the nonprofit news organizations, this is by number, not size, about a third of them cover local news. So everything from hyper-local neighborhood news in a city to covering a major metro area. When you think of covering neighborhoods, you might think in Chicago, City Bureau, and Black Club Chicago. They cover parts of the city. And then there are larger organizations that might cover an entire metro area. You might think in San Diego, there are two. There's Voice of San Diego, which covers a lot of news of the day and civic news, and then I news Source, which is more investigative and doing deeper dives into certain issues in San Diego. But they have both served the entire metro area. Then about 25%, about a quarter of nonprofits, are covering state news. That's often in the state government, uh, where commercial coverage has been cut quite a bit. But also there are others, particularly in rural states, that may cover the whole state. Wyo File in Wyoming is a great example. It's become really central to coverage of a very rural state. Then you have we have a handful of regional organizations. That's a little tougher because you're trying to build support across the whole region of the country. But there are some long-standing, very good ones: High Country News in the mountain west. There are two startups in the southeast, Southerly and Scalawag, that cover issues of the South. And then national. News organizations, there's 50-some now, and some of those are topical. So like the Heckinger Report or Chalkbeat cover education on a national level, and then you have the big national organizations like ProPublica, Mother Jones center for public integrity those are some of the bigger national ones and then there's global but based in the u.s so Mongabay bay covers environmental issues globally coda story which is a recent startup but has grown very fast very interesting takes a very um kind of multimedia approach to covering eastern europe and the soviet countries from outside so that the reporters have some safety in environments where they might otherwise not be safe or that news will not get out. So that gives you a sense of the full uh, sweep, if you will, of the the types of news. Some of the stories, there's a best of nonprofit news tab that we renew each year. And anyone can find that on the INN.org website up in the tabs. And I encourage you to scroll through it because it is pretty inspiring. We ask each news organization to send us a story that they felt had the most impact. And some of the ones I had just scrolled through some of those, some that jumped out to me in South Dakota, there's a tiny organization, although with Help From NewsMatch, it has grown from like one person to about four, I think. They uncovered really horrific abuse in youth homes, state-funded youth homes that had just been going on a while, but nobody had uncovered. Um, there's a story by the DCist. The DCist was a for profit that was closed by its owner, it converted to nonprofit. And they wrote about uh, just this great story about gentrification, you know, and that's one of those terms. It's just wonky, and we all know we, it, the impact it has, but it's hard to write about, I think, sometimes in a human way. And the DCist wrote about the last bastion of go-go. Go-go is a local music style, and it's loud and kind of raucous. that's local to D.C. And as gentrification has spread, they focused on this one music store, music venue, that now is increasingly feeling the pressure of businesses and people around it to turn down the blaring go-go music there, but it, it, it's a wonderful human look at gentrification that, that you know, kind of takes you there. Um, there's often very broad looks and deep looks at policy issues. Um, and sometimes these are the kind of things that are just so important, but they're never going to drive advertising. They're never going to drive clicks because... They are policy issues, and in they're in their deep, or you're looking at a broad swath. The uh, investigative reporting workshop, which is uh, at American University and has been involved with INN for a long time, they took a look at immigration law in all 50 states. So that's a kind of work that it's, it's hard for a commercial outlet to invest in. It's never going to pay off, but it's really, really important in state houses and in DC and to all of us as we see these laws shifting. So, you know, those are some of the examples that just come to my mind. Another one, I'm thinking of San Francisco Public Press, which is, you know, sitting right in San Francisco, right with the tech industry, and really took a very good, smart look at how your data as an individual generates dollars for The tech companies that collect it, and in that case, it was it was a combination of a depth of reporting and a nice storytelling style that came to it. So there were stories like that all across the country.
0: Uh, Listening to you sort of go down this list and and talk about the different styles of reporting, the different. Different topics that, that newsrooms are covering. I find it really inspiring, you know. Having done this podcast for over seven years, and, and sort of seeing or talking to a lot of people who express concern about, you know, we're losing our state house coverage. We're, you know, that we've got these news deserts. There's news, you know, the state house and their cr- and local crime. They're you know, investigative, you know, investigating local corruption. Uh, there's all the stuff that's that's going uncovered, and I think the public slowly began to realize that this was important journalism that was was going away and the way to to make that happen is not to rely on the commercial outlets but to support these nonprofits. So as we kind of wrap this up, you know, what what do you see as sort of the big challenges going forward for nonprofit news?
1: I think there are challenges of scale and I think there's a challenge that is similar to any startup is that you It's branding and it's marketing. It's making sure in your community that people know who you are. I think one of the reasons this field is growing is these kind of hell-bent individuals who say, I love my community. I'm not going to stop reporting. We're going to make this happen. And they are known in their community. And that's so important because when people see all these news stories, true, untrue, from God knows where, flowing by on social media or on aggregation platforms, it is hard for the public to know, what do I believe, what do I not believe? And I think both the opportunity and the challenge is, these are small newsrooms, even the large ones are small relative you know, to the traditional scale of media. And they need to engage the public and keep engaging the public. And that amounts to just getting to know People and be out in the community so that people in a community can know this is what they stand for and yes I'm going to trust them and I'm going to go find that news I can trust. I think there is a differentiation that we see in journalism but maybe people outside of our field don't yet and that is these organizations we know we can trust because they say this is our mission This is our staff. Here's where our money comes from. And actually they tell people, here's how we spend our money. You know, their salaries are listed on nonprofit tax forms. So there's a degree of transparency and it truly is a trust with the public and they have to operate as a public trust. But I'm not sure people know that right now. People are seeing all the fake news term thrown around and misinformation is real and out there. So I think... It's a cultural shift that is the challenge ahead, that helping people understand how do I tell what news I can trust and how do I know that what this news organization stands for and their point of view if they have one or what funds them and what they serve. And so I think that is a challenge for the future that reflects this evolution of of news media that... There are kinds of news organizations that are more transparent and very, very close to their communities now growing up. And it will be getting that word out and engaging more with people. It's at a local level, it's at a national level, it's really at, at every level as journalism's reinvented.
0: Yeah. I concur. Sue, thanks for for taking some time today to talk about the Institute for Nonprofit News. And also just to remind everybody that uh, through the end of December, the uh, News Match initiative is going on. Go ahead and contribute to these nonprofit news organizations. You can find out more about that at NewsMatch.org. and You can find out more about INN at at INN.org. Sue, thanks again. Thank
1: you, Michael. Good talking with you.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. We also just posted the results of our online survey about journalism resources. Check out what tools some of our readers are using to make good journalism. Everyone who took our survey received a free It's All Journalism mug. If you'd like to score a mug of your own, take one of our surveys. Go to itsalljournalism.com to learn more. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.